We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Into the Rotowire NFL podcast. I am your host, John McKechnie, joined by Mario Puig. This podcast brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. Uh, we got a lot to get to today, Mario, but before we get into that, how are you doing on this fine Thursday? Uh, I don't know. Fine. I'm, I'm distracted with lots of stuff, so I'm not very present right now. I'm, th- I'm thinking so much about these things these things we're going to podcast about today and and my chores and such, and it's getting hotter. So I guess I'm feeling a little bit crunched, a little stressed with the heat thrown in. No, I I get it. Uh, Coming up on the, on the end of the month here and I'm, I'm about to move apartments. So it's like, I got to move ahead of me. Had to go to the dentist this morning. Like, Oh man. So yeah, you know, us podcasters, we really go through the ringer for you guys to, um, to, to listen to us talk about football. So we're, we're real grinders out here um, doing our thing. And I, I am excited to be here, though. And to bring it up, let's, uh, let's just go ahead and, and uh, talk about what we're getting into for today. We're going to talk about zero RB um, and how it applies to the 2021 uh, redraft pool. We're going to get into what it is. Uh, you've probably, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have a loose idea of what it is. Uh, if not, uh, you've probably heard someone talk about it at least, or if you're on Twitter you've um, and you follow anyone in fantasy football, you've almost certainly at least seen a reference to it. So we're going to kind of break it down, uh, go into the, the pros and cons of it, and kind of let you all know uh, where we land on it personally. And then we're also going to keep doing a few deep dives here. We're going to get it. We're going to go out west. Uh, we're going to go uh, to Vegas, uh, hit the Raiders, and also the Rams. So a lot to get into. But Mario, for the uninitiated, what is zero RB? Well, um, it's, I, I don't mean to brand myself as an expert on it or its entire history, but I think it kind of was largely an idea put forth by this, by this guy, Sean Siegel, Segal. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but he's basically like one of the best fantasy football players out there and has been for a long time. And he kind of, uh, along with the other people who would eventually pick it up, of course, just kind of 
noticed uh, five or six years ago, whenever this all started, that it was a little bit too much of a consensus industry opinion in fantasy football media that you had to target running backs early. And as much as that might have also been true five or six years ago or whatever, this is something that if you played fantasy football a long time ago, you really remember this. This was true back in like the, the early 2000s, back before point per reception scoring was so common. Uh, back back in like the early 2000s, when when I'm sure fantasy football analysis was much worse than it is today, it was, it was pretty much just like if you didn't take, with the exception of guys like Randy Moss and Terrell Owens and Marvin Harrison, it was like you have to take a running back in, in your first yeah. like two or three picks. Like you you, you don't even consider another possibility. Uh, and and some of that had to do with the, the touchdown, the increased touchdown emphasis and the decreased emphasis on point per reception scoring. But point per reception scoring got more common. Uh, standard scoring started to fade away. And yet more of probably that initial school of thought of like, you got to hammer the running backs. You got to get, you got to get a stud. You got to get a workhorse, at least two. Uh, that kind of stuff was was still the general assumption, even as point per reception introduced this new, you know, capital to to the whole thing, at, and mostly to the benefit of pass catchers, obviously, and and a little bit to the detriment of the players who stood out on the basis of touchdowns before. And I think uh, certainly when it's stated by a guy like Sean, it's it's a sound case that's made, and it's a pragmatic case, one that's based on just following the numbers. Uh, just going where the results are it's gotten a little bit out of hand since then and you'll you'll notice that's kind of why i wanted to talk about it today you'll notice he's not involved with really any of these wars like i don't think he even uses twitter but he's he's not involved with these 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 big fights people get in about zero rb or whether you should do robust running back or whatever a lot of the other people who have picked up the fight from whatever angle they've gotten into it it has to do with a kind of like a lot of ideological stuff. Like you've, you've got these people who are making a new different case uh, that, that they kind of conf- they confuse the zero running back market inefficiency point of people just targeting running backs too early in draft and then kind of try to confuse it and conflate it to the general tendency of NFL teams to potentially uh, run oh, too much. Running backs don't so matter. Get, get... Yeah, like running, running backs, backs don't, don't matter, matter in fantasy. Well, I would say the running backs don't matter. People largely co-opted uh, the the zero running back, the, the more sober yes. and kind of like That's scholarly. That's the connection I wanted to make. Zero... Yeah, so that that started to get out of hand when those people especially picked it up, and they're ridiculous for a lot of reasons, in my opinion. But uh, the least of which is, or sorry, the most of which is like they're not even really being that pragmatic about it. It's just it's just an ideological axe to grind that they have. Uh, so the the zero running back thing when it made sense, it all was within the context. And in any case, I said, I should say that it made sense in any point. It was because the league in question had a market, a, a player market that dictated that the, the most efficient way to gain points was to target receivers a, a little bit more where, where some people were mostly reach, you know, reaching, chasing these potential workhorses that so often turn out to be busts and, you know, the third, right. fourth, fifth round range. And so, if you're if you're in a league where running backs really are going way too high, then just as it would be at any other case, any other position where where the where the market gets more favorable or less favorable at any point, you just follow it on that basis. You don't go in believing like, oh, running backs aren't useful or that I gotta fade them. You you go into it saying, like, I gotta get the highest scoring collection of players. 
And if everybody's, you know, if, if Tyreek Hill's going fourth overall and Devontae Adams is going third and Michael Thomas is going ninth as an extreme example, that would be a league where it's like, okay, the receivers are a little bit overpriced or at least a lot more expensive than they were in other cases. Um, maybe it makes sense to, to indulge the running back supply a little bit more early on since it's like you're, mm-hmm. you're not getting those expensive receivers anyway. You're just paying the same price for the lower tiered ones in that same range. So uh, it's kind of just, do you want to, do you want to go where the actual value is or, or at least where we have reason to believe that it is, or do you want to make some kind of ideological point about just picking some position? Cause it's always the right thing to do. I think it can be the right thing to do, but it's to me a case by case basis. And so I'll sometimes go pretty running back light. Uh, I rarely go running back zero. I tend to take one in the first round in most cases. And then sometimes I won't take another until like the eighth or ninth. And so that would be kind of like a hybrid of, of the, the zero running back point, which was initially just kind of like, just, just take the backups who can, who can get passing down snaps because then if a starter gets hurt, they get on the field uh, and are basically as good as the starter because running backs are largely replaceable or at least more replaceable than receivers and certainly quarterbacks. So if if you're if you're going with like the extreme not taking a running back until like the eighth or ninth or tenth round, I think even a lot of people who consider themselves zero running back proponents would say that's that's maybe a bit extreme. In practice, I think a lot of the even even the people who consider themselves zero RB proponents probably are are saying like, well, you know, you still take some running backs in the first round. It's just you don't you don't take one when it's not a good position to do so. You don't you don't reach for the for the for the privilege of of taking a running back early. But if there's a good value, you don't run away from that just because it's a different position. Right. But, you know, again, you're talking about just rigidity versus like having a, a, a the actual strategy of having the the highest accumulation of points get going in there re- regardless of position just being like i'm getting the the best player in my opinion at this given area whether it is a running back whether it is a receiver tight end maybe even quarterback what what have you and and yeah we we've kind of seen i just feel like maybe this is just what my twitter feed looks like and i need to st- start curating things a little bit better but you know it's like i've see these like screenshots of like these teams that are like borderline irresponsible where it's like they're the dude, I went like 12 rounds without getting a running back. And like, now I'm going to be leaning on Kylan Hill or something. I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea. Like even though, even if like it gives you in theory, like the, the ability to, especially in best ball to like pull off some stacks one way or the other, you're, you're leaving yourself just so, so vulnerable at the running back position. And you, and especially it, there's like a, a small bit of hubris involved in it too, where it's like, you know, how to identify exactly uh, how things are going to work. And it's like, I think that the first year that zero RB really kind of like gained its prominence or like, you know, had its touchstone moment was 2014, which was obviously the year that Adrian Peterson was suspended for all but one game. And, and Ray Rice obviously didn't play. Um, and, and a bunch of other running backs just didn't uh, perform particularly well. So you were able to theoretically get these like waiver wire or replacement level guys and have them turn into your R, into your RB ones. Like it, you can have that shoot for the moon type of outcome. But I think there's just a bit of 
and you know, we obviously pr- pride ourselves on, on player evaluation. I mean, that's what we do, especially like on, on this podcast and, and, you know, dur- during our work hours and everything, we know these guys in and out. We spend our, a lot of time analyzing them as prospects. We spend a lot of time analyzing how they fit into their roles on their given teams. But I don't think that I can just go into a draft take 10 guys that aren't running backs and then just be like, no, if I, if I start this year with Tony Pollard and some other jokesters, Jamal Williams, and, and, you know, the list goes on Naheem Hines, then I'm going to be fine. I just, I don't think that I have that ability. I think it'd be kind of crazy for me to just assume that, that I have that, that end of the equation figured out when it is, you know, the one that could fall apart the easiest. Well, uh, taking those taking those cheaper running backs as a general rule, I think kind of is is meant to uh, more so acknowledge that you can't, or that, not that you can't know a certain amount, but that there's only a certain amount that you can know. And at the position with the most injuries, which is generally running back, in that case, that position is the one where you where it makes the most sense to just kind of, as a general rule, take the cheaper option because there's the most instability, and and the cheaper one is in that position's case, more likely to, to step up as a similar value than at a different, a different position. But I think the, the key is to kind of just have like a, a reasonable perspective about the whole thing. And, and there's also some accounting to be done for the specific format that you're in. I would generally suspect that it, it is zero running back or just like a generally lighter than usual running back approach can work in both best ball and season long. But I think it might be a little, maybe at least like, I'm guessing it, but maybe like year to year, it's a little bit more durable uh, results wise to, to do a zero running back kind of thing in season long where you have a fab element, uh, obviously that somewhat offset by just having more rounds to draft in a case like best ball, but it's still, there's a surprising number of cases where it's just like you, you take some guy on, you know, whatever uh, seems, seems relatively safe seem, or seems like a good value wherever he is. And it's just uh, by August, you know, second week of August, it's just like the guy's, clearly not going to be playing much this year and your, your team's kind of looking less than great at an important is that spot. A, is that and a, like a divine Zigbo from, from a year ago or something? Sure. And then in season long, it's like, it doesn't matter as much. You can just cut them and be like, all right, I'll spend a lot of fab on the next uh, backup who gets on the field with, with, with uh, best ball. You're just stuck with that guy on your team and, and there's nothing you can right. do about it. Um, but I, there's definitely still, uh, some years more than others, best ball it can work for zero running back. And last year was probably one of those cases because you had uh, McCaffrey getting hurt, of course, and, and Mike Davis basically being 0.75 McCaffrey as this guy that, that people were getting in like the last round or whatever. So there's there's better results for some years than others, which to me just circles that much more back to the point that it's like you have to be pragmatic about it. And just kind of know the probabilities you're working with. If you get too self-certain and you know smug that it's just always the right thing to do, always, no matter, with no accounting of of the actual draft market in the league in question, that's probably when you're going to start, you know, just 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 falling into mistakes and that you didn't really need to make that you wouldn't have made if you just kind of didn't go on autopilot on, on such an ideological basis. Like I think you have to just kind of go case by case and it's like just don't make bad picks should should probably be your general strategy and and yeah it's a, if you're the kind of person who's so running back obsessed that you spend i don't know like a a top 18 pick on Chris Carson or something like that you could use a little zero running back 
dogma in your life, but uh, sure. just as much the other side of it is you can't be passing up good running back values just just because you you're, you refuse to accept one. Like it's just, it's a bad process. And when you're and and part of the to go back to like the just having the, the proper um, perspective on this and, and the importance of that doing a doing a best ball, especially like a tournament sort of best ball draft where you take on what you know is a risky, unstable. Uh, kind of just long shot sort of strategy, which I would very much call uh, the, the the particular person you're talking about who had like Jamal Williams as their running back one. That if they know kind of what they're getting into, then then it's kind of fine. But if that person if that person to uh, you know was in that draft, took that team as they did, and thought at the conclusion of it, oh, this is great. I gotta I gotta like buy in bulk this sort of stock here. I gotta make this a uh, staple of my portfolio. That would be wrong. That's that's not the kind of perspective to have. If you're going to take an extreme, uh, you know, an, an aggressive approach to any particular premise, you you don't want to make that like a staple of of your portfolio. You want to you want to go into it knowing like this is probably a bad idea, but you know, weird stuff happens, and, and there's nothing wrong with making that kind of team. But as like a as like a smug ideologically, you know, worldview dictating kind of thing, it's it's probably not worth that much of of your you know, brain space. No, I, I don't think so either. So I think you have the the right perspective as per usual um, on this and of, you know, it, to, to, <laughs> to, to dovetail a little bit um, uh, on this, on this subject, before we move on to some of the other stuff for today, um, who are in your mind, some of those kind of the, the classic zero RB guys uh, for, for this year's crop, you know, beyond a Tony Pollard, um, and are there some that are that are like a little bit more pricey in drafts that that interest you? Maybe like the AJ Dillons of the world, or are there some other ones who are kind of getting some helium that that maybe uh, in your mind uh, don't deserve it? Well, I I think it's it's again kind of just like a perspective thing. Like if you're if you're going in with a certain level of exposure contained in each case, you can justify pretty much any running back for for some reason or another. It's like you can, you know, it's if, if Travis Etienne gets hurt for the for the Jaguars, God forbid, then James Robinson, uh the people who took him in whatever he's going now, the seventh or eighth or something, they're just they're just locked in to, to Yeah, a that's a lottery ticket. Um but it's not the kind of thing where I'd want to say therefore target James Robinson heavily because like we we still need that other guy to get hurt. There's there's not much we can actually control. The the, the things that we know don't actually matter in this case. It's it's just subject to chance that we, that we have nothing to do with. So you can kind of uh, up to certain exposure percentages and up to certain price ac- acquisition prices. You can pretty much rationalize anything. But as far as staple guys uh, who who I generally see at a price that I think is favorable. I guess I'm thinking a lot about Alexander Madison and it's, this is always, this is always just a grim kind of subject you have to go into with each of these guys. Cause it's like, well, first thing we need is this, this really good player that we like a lot to get hurt. And then this guy uh, who's not as good and it would be bad for the game if he played more, we want that to happen. And, and so it's, it's kind of um, uh, macabre or whatever, but if Matt, if Madison is the clear backup, which he is, then uh Dalvin Cook, or, or sorry, if, if if Madison is the clear backup to, to Dalvin Cook, which he is, then he's one of the backups closest to a three-down role uh, in the league. And yet, I feel like 
and this is a little bit different than last year. I feel like last year, Tony Pollard and Alex Madison tended to go pretty close to each other. And I think this mm-hmm. year you see Pollard more regularly go in like the 10th or something. And then Madison fall surprisingly far, I think like maybe the 14th or 13th, 12th, something like that. They should be right next to each other, in my opinion. Uh, I, don't, I don't really feel strongly about which of them is better than the other. I, I guess I, I don't really have any clue, but uh, it's it's unfortunate, but it's objectively true that Dalvin Cook is one of the more higher risk injury guys in the NFL. Sure. That might be true about Zeke at this point too, but uh, you don't really see the ADP acknowledgement in the case of Madison. It's like people kind of uh, got their hopes up last year, picking him at the same price as Pollard. Uh, Dalvin just went nuts, murdered everybody, and they kind of forgot the reason that they had last year for picking him applies just as much this year as last year. And there's, there's not really, it, it just didn't happen to work last year in that one instance. So I like, I like getting Madison in like the 13th or something like that here and there uh, just because I, I, especially with Boone gone, I guess I would expect uh, Madison to play three downs if Cook were to miss any time. Right. And, and I think to your, to your point uh, between Pollard and Z er, uh, Pollard and, and Madison, we saw Ezekiel be, ineffective at times last year and and miss a game you know during the fantasy playoffs last year and he just didn't look um near I mean he, he dropped off a full half a yard that's not that's not great obviously and and you know Pollard was able to to get um a little bit more experience out there but he wasn't necessarily awesome in in his own right I mean his his yards per carry dropped off a full yard um despite and he got uh 15 more yeah, he's carries not benching Zeke if that's what no. people are thinking and that's why he costs what he does, they they probably should stop doing that. Let his price go yeah, down and, and then buy some shares. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, that some of that can also just be explained by the, the, the drop off in that offense with the offensive line and with Dak Prescott going out and then you replace him with Andy Dalton. The whole thing is obviously not going to go nearly as well. So last year on the other side, you know, we saw Dalvin Cook be healthy for 16 games, if I remember correctly. And I think he was second to Derrick Henry in, in total carries. So, like, I, I think that maybe people are inclined to just think that maybe Dalvin Cook isn't an injury risk anymore, whereas I think you have the right idea where it's like, no, he still is. He just didn't get hurt last year. And, and you know, that that should more so be reflected uh, in the Alexander Madison uh, uh, current market. And then I guess yeah, my, uh, my, oh, sorry, my last gonna, point... You're good. You're good. And then uh, my, my last point here on, on, on this topic in general and, and what makes... Uh, my willingness to 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 uh, leave the running back position alone, especially for an extended period of time. Like I, most of my drafts, I've gotten two uh, two running backs with my first three picks or so. Um, and part of the reason is we didn't have a great influx of running backs this year. Like we ha- we have Najee Harris, of course, who fantasy wise is you know in a really really good position for a ton of of touches and, and that of course is kind of like what we're chasing on, on you know for uh fantasy purposes and Travis Etienne obviously we really great player we're really excited about him don't really know what his role is going to look like cuz can't really trust Urban Meyer at least to our knowledge um but then after him like you have Javante Williams and then you are completely just guessing and and you know like a, a lot of these guys just like 
either aren't all that talented or, or just like have these kind of strange projected roles. I do like the the Michael Carter trajectory, but I could see the desperation kind of starting to drive up uh, his price in drafts. Um, I think we could see something similar with Kenny Gainwell, especially if he starts to, you know, kind of make some waves uh, d- during uh during training camp, that sort of thing. So it just feels like there, there's uh, less of a, of an influx of, of talent at the running back position. So we have these kind of retreads or guys that we just kind of need to assume certain leaps or suit certain things about their, their respective roles. Uh, that makes me a little bit uneasy for, from going away from the guys that I, that I view to be the, the more sure things. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about it that much, but I've tended to get, a lot of first and third round running back tandems. But that also might just be because I incidentally am high on Jonathan Taylor or whoever I'm taking in the first. And then especially when someone like DeAndre Swift falls to my third round pick, that's one of those things where uh, I, I have to do it. I have to, I have to take Swift and Ezekiel, sorry, like Ezekiel Elliott or Jonathan Taylor, somebody like that. And it's because I, I I think that Swift's price is wrong and that if, if it corrects, he, I'm not going to get a chance to pick him in the third round uh, after that. So I made the pick often at this point. It's it's not because I, I, or at least I don't think it's because I've settled into like a set pattern. Uh, we, we might see some shifts, especially as, as injury stuff or whatever trades and signings uh, might remain. But I guess it is for now shaping up for me to be that kind of year two where I'm not really picking running backs in the middle rounds, I, I would be open to something where I'm doing like a, I, I, I always want to pick at least like one running back in those first three rounds. I don't really want to go into the the eighth or ninth or whatever, picking my first one. But I will say if you're trying to do some sort of running back restrained approach, you need to make that discipline last throughout the draft. You can't, you, you're not really doing it right. If you're like, Oh, I'm taking wide receivers in the first five rounds. Uh, and then I'm taking, yeah, like Trey Sermon in the Chase, sixth. Chase like Edmonds, yeah. Right. It's like you, you got you to gotta make sure you're not just reaching later on than usual, uh, especially because the player that you're reaching for probably doesn't even have the theoretical upside of the player that you could have made a so-called reach for earlier. So you're kind of just better off just, just uh, you know, take Sermon, take the Michael Carter if they're there at a reasonable price, but uh, just just taking them at, you know, what 1.25 what what their worth what times what they're worth is not really any any more restrained than than taking you know a guy like Taylor or or whatever running back you're thinking of in the first couple of rounds two or three spots earlier than your efficiency projections say they should it's like you're you're at least getting upside that can't be imitated later on uh with with a few exceptions but if you could get a league where you know it's you're getting really loaded receivers early on you're loaded at tight end whatever it is you got going, and then you get Trey Sermon in, I don't know, the late seventh or the early eighth, then that could work because the math is at least consistent then. It's like you, you're not paying more than you should for him. So if he doesn't have the upside of the top you know, three rounds kind of running backs, it doesn't matter because he didn't pay as if that were the case. If you are paying as if that's the case, then I, I think it's an instance of you know the, the ideology, the strategy – just not working out in practice like the way that it was supposed to in theory. And at, at, at which point there's, there's not really any reason to be attached to it. It's like the theory isn't even there, you know? Are you just bringing up Trey Sermon a bunch? Cause I forgot to list him among those, those rookies. 
You're just rubbing it in my face. I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I guess him and Carter and I don't know, was there another one? I guess there's not really another. Oh, Javante. Right. Um, yeah. Javante. Yeah. It's like, that's, I'm just, I guess I'm just like repeating my prior belief with, with him in particular, but it's like, I, I really don't see the point in taking him in like the fifth round. Like I would, I would be, a, a Javante buyer in bulk if, if he were more around the same price as Trey Sermon, but it's, it's just not, it's not even theoretically a bargain or a sharp pickup anymore when you're just overpaying to do it. You know, you're, you're just being late to a trend. No, ex- exactly. Exactly. So um, yeah, that that's a tricky one to figure, figure out. And, or I guess it's not really like, just don't overpay for it for some of these guys um, that are out there. And obviously Sermon's uh, position looks a little bit different than it than it did on draft day um, with, with some of the uh, injuries there in San Francisco. To I like backfield. Dylan a lot. Mm-hmm. Like AJ Dylan, and it's like you're going to see Sermon and Michael Carter all, almost always go ahead of AJ Dylan. I think, and it's like, well, we'll stop and, th- and consider what's going on exactly. It's like AJ Dylan's a backup to a starter who is injury prone. Trey Sermon he only might plays be like sixty percent of the snaps. A- yeah, and, and Trey Sermon might be the backup to a guy, Raheem Mostert, who is not going to be displaced from the lineup. Like he he's never going to be a workhorse, but they're not going to just say, Mostert, get on the bench. This is Sermon's getting 30 carries now. That's that's not gonna happen. Um so to 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 basically like I think Sermon's pretty good. I think Javante's pretty good, Michael Card's pretty good. But if you're if you're putting them in a tier above AJ Dillon or someone like him, I think you're you're kind of uh, confusing your own categories and your own theories. And, and actually they're, they're more like just four guys in the same boat. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, that's, it's a good way uh, of framing that one. Uh, let's, uh, let's put a bow then on the zero RB slash just kind of general running back discussion that we had going on there. Um, again, our, our prevailing point as always, dear listener, uh, pick the best players. Uh, and uh, get the best team. That, that's the best optimal strategy. Is uh, simply that's how it. I view it. Just simply, you just win your league uh, and do it however you need to do it. I would pick the but, best team if I were in. Yeah, the league. personally, yeah, that's kind of the the way I'm going to try to do it. Um, before we get on over to our Raiders deep dive, a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Mario, let's jump back in. Uh, let's jump on over to the Raiders. Uh, it was an interesting offense last year. It was one that, that you know, had you know, some pretty fruitful fantasy performances, some, some players who outperformed any, anywhere, uh, that we could have thought. I mean, we saw Derek Carr go from like the, the king of the dink and dunk to being a guy who's, who's average depth of throw was nine yards down the field, which is well above average. And, uh, you know, a lot of that I felt like had to do with the, the introduction of Henry, or I'm sorry, of Nelson Aguilar into that offense. He obviously had an amazing uh, season for himself and, and cashed in on it now in New England, of course. Um, but we have an interesting group of receivers after him and obviously Darren Waller to get to as well. But what's kind of like your general outlook on how this offense is and uh, what players specifically from it do you think that you're going to find yourself targeting um, in redraft this year? So we'll see where the prices settle, or at least where they trend toward, but this might be the year where I'm a Josh Jacobs buyer. I don't know. It's, it's okay. Uh, it's not something that I'm excited to do, but if he keeps falling into like I don't even know where he's been going, like the third round, fourth round, maybe mm-hmm. even. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take him ahead of DeAndre Swift until I've probably got like six shares of De- DeAndre Swift or something like that. But once I get to that kind of volume with Swift, I'm gonna have to think about it because that even when I'm making that swift pick over Jacobs in, in like the whatever mid to late third, I'm not making it because I'm so sure that Swift's better or that I like particularly dislike Jacobs for the price. It's it's actually more the kind of thing like, man, I kind of wish I could trade my fourth and my fifth rounder for someone else's third rounder so I could just pick both of them back to back here. But of course, you, you don't have that option in snake drafts, so you, you just kind of have to try to remember to balance your exposure a little bit if that if that's something you're interested in and Jacobs in that range I don't think he's a particularly good player or anything I I definitely thought people were overrating him the past couple of years as a prospect but it's it's true that the the replacement level of running back production is is pretty useful in fantasy so long as the the usage goes over a certain point and even with Kenyon Drake there I don't think it's the kind of thing where if if his valuation previously at the at the fringe of the first round, if that if that made any sense at all, then it's an overreaction to let him fall quite to a. I don't know if he's probably going in a, at a reasonable price in a lot of drafts, and then just like in a handful of drafts, he goes a little too far. I, I don't think he's I don't think he's like a screaming bargain all the time. But in those cases, it's like I mean, if the guys if the guys getting like eighteen carries a game, something like that, he can afford to only catch two or three passes if he's going in the late third, you know, it's, if he was going in the late first, then yes, he cannot afford it. He's not a good enough pure runner. He can't do the Nick Chubb thing where he places whatever eighth among running backs, even though he's, he's a uh, 31st and in, in starting running back receptions. Jacobs can't be that kind of player, but if he's cheap enough, it just doesn't really matter at that point. You're just buying the volume and it doesn't even really matter who's attached to it. So I, I think the Kenyon Drake, the other thing is Kenyon Drake's not going high enough for that reaction to make much sense. It's like if if that if people are really scared of Jacobs, then they should be a little more eager to buy Kenyon Drake. But I actually just did an underdog draft 
yesterday or two days ago or something. I think I got Drake in like the 12th or 13th round, in which case it's like, that, that's, that sounds like the price he should go if you believe Jacobs is a first round pick rather than a third. Um, mm. So I, I think there might be a little bit of, I think you'll, you'll, you'll often see cases where the general public consensus just doesn't really add up over the course of an entire offense. Like if it's like uh, you see, you see certain prices on certain guys where it's like, okay, everybody's not thinking about this. One of these is too high uh, or, or, or one of them's too low. Both of them are too low something. And I think this is a case like it where, you know, between the bitterness of previous years, well, I guess it's bitterness toward both of them, isn't it? It's, it's that mm-hmm. people took Drake in the first round last year and hate him. So they won't take him in the 10th now even though they also don't want to take Jacobs in the, the mid third or whatever, even though a year ago they thought he was going to get 20 carries and four catches a game. It's just, uh, right. it can't be that far apart. It's somewhere in the middle more likely. Okay. Yeah, no, that's uh, I, yeah, the Kenyon Drake wrinkle um, definitely has, I think scared a lot of people off of, of Jacobs and, uh, it, it is interesting to see how how the market it is forming right now. I mean, looking at, at RotoWire's kind of just ADP report, we do have that. Check that out in our in our draft kit. Um, uh, yeah, on the NFFC, it looks like he's dropping. You know, out of the eighth round. Um, in my in my fantasy league drafts, going like pit, like way after the tenth. So um, yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting to see the the dynamic in between uh, where he's going and, and where where Jacobs is going. Uh, for sure, um, but yeah, no, maybe it does present that that potential buying opportunity when when it comes to getting uh, some Jacobs shares, especially late in the third round, um, like you mentioned. Uh, in terms of this receiving core or this passing game in general, obviously Darren Waller is the alpha. It's one of the very few offenses in the league where you could say that the tight end is the engine of the passing game. Um, looking beyond, or we'll start there. Um, how are, how are your views right now? I know we talked about this like a month ago. Um, do you still view Waller as you, as your tight end two or as that, that guy that can potentially be that, that tight end two, tight end one? Yeah, I'd say it's tight end two and, you know, he's in the same tier as George Kittle. It's a coin flip kind of thing between the two of them. Okay. That checks out. Um, you know, he, he's, he's a guy a that's definitely, he's, awesome. he's, yeah. he's, he's ridiculous. Um, but you know, with Aguilar being gone and Henry Ruggs not really uh, ha- having the uh, the rookie season that um, maybe his, his bigger proponents w- would have hoped that he was going to have um, as a rookie, it wasn't like completely disastrous on on a per target basis. Still ten and a half yards a target, um, but the catch rate w- wasn't particularly good. Um, had a drop in there. Um, just you start to wonder how much how much volume he can really realistically take on, or is he just going to be a deep threat only type of guy, which it, it's not a bad thing, but that's obviously not what you want to spend um, the 12th overall pick on when you're, if you're the Raiders, but you know, how do you see his role expanding and, and how is it looking uh, as far as his fantasy value in, in drafts right now? So I, I wasn't particularly high on rugs, or at least I wasn't one of his proponents. I wasn't one of his critics either, I, I, and I guess a year later, I'm still kind of in that position. I think uh, overall, there's there's a lot of risk for him in fantasy just because he, like it's not his fault, but he always will be the guy most qualified for a decoy route if there's a decoy route to be run on a play. 
And it doesn't mean that he's bad at running a real route or catching a real target. It just means if somebody needs to run a waste route for Darren Waller to get open on this play design, Ruggs is the guy who's not getting a target on that play. Like he just can't do it. Um, that's not something that's that's not going to be like a staple occurrence or anything like that. So it's not going to make or break him. But it is one thing in conjunction with otherwise like a general uh, just just he doesn't he doesn't have an inclination to draw targets quickly. As part of that has to do with the routes that he draws. It's like if you're running far downfield, that's going to have a downward pressure on your per snap target volume because the harder the route, the less often the quarterback's going to take that risk. So if he's running 17 yards downfield, then it kind of caps the the sort of volume he can get. And we haven't really seen the Raiders get going as an underneath receiver. That may or may not happen. I don't know how someone can know for sure either way. Uh, But if if he does start getting short routes, he could be good. But if he doesn't, then it's just like he's going to be running a lot of mileage and not getting a whole lot of targets for it. Well, well, do you think that maybe they, they scale scale that that decoy factor down just a little bit with that loss of Aguilar? Because Aguilar, in in his own right, was an A dot of fifteen point three, which is also pretty far down the field, at two yards uh, shorter, of course, that, than Rugs. But uh, you know, he was able to turn that into something, and we we saw Derek Carr kind of uh, reach a level with his with his downfield passing that we hadn't really seen since maybe previous uh like before he broke his leg in the 2016 season that is kind of breakout year um so do you think that maybe rugs picks up that function in this offense or, or do you think he remains in, in that same uh static role of just like just send him down he could i just think there's there's nothing certain like it's it's um it's one of those things he could get better, but the team I think wants him to get better before they give him more responsibilities of that nature, uh, specifically the Aguilar role. In the meantime, I think the Aguilar usage is up for grabs between rugs. Uh, I guess John Brown might still have something left. He's certainly a similar category of player on the outside speed oriented element. Uh, yep. he, he could pick up, he could be the most of the Aguilar replacement, but it also might be one of those things where the, the team wants Ruggs to to kind of win that job, but they, they don't know whether he can yet, and they don't plan to just uh, fix it for him in the meantime. So basically, if Ruggs gives them a reason to to give him that that role, then he should get it. It's just there's only, there's only so much we can know, and, and in the meantime, I don't feel safe assuming that Ruggs will outplay uh, John Brown for for those those Aguilar outside downfield routes, and then if they are putting up for review the intermediate kind of routes that Aguilar might have gotten last year, then you have to worry about Brian Edwards too. And Brian Edwards obviously can't be the the speed element; like he's not eligible for that for those functions. But if if the whole function that Aguilar took last year is up for review, then it could just be a kind of thing where Rugs gets stuck with deep ones, which he he could be good at it. Uh, it still would be hard to be consistent and be like what a, what his investors really hope he'll turn into. Uh, and then Edwards could kind of vulture the intermediate routes, whatever few underneath routes Aguilar might have gotten. So there's just there's just like a wide range of possibility. And I'm not getting rug shares at the moment. Uh, that that could change if he just you know slides in some draft. I'm, I don't think he's a bad player or anything, and I I think he could very well still be developing. But uh, I think generally. There are players, if a player has a similar level of risk as Ruggs, I just tend to find ones that I think are, are both like cheaper and, and having more plausible upside than him. It, but it's, it's not one of those things where you're eager to write him off or anything.
Okay, looking at, at the ADP report night right now, I mean, other players going in in that si- similar range. You know, you got Adam Troutman, James White, um, Blake Jarwin, Hayden Hurst. So, like, so, some kind of sketchy tight well, ends. Over them, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> unless you really need a tight end, I guess. Right, and and again, I'm I'm a little bit cherry picking, but you know, I'm I'm definitely taking him over over the two Arizona guys in in this range, both uh, Rondale and and Christian Kirk. I'll probably take Kirk, uh, but I have no interest in Rondale. I would definitely take Rugs over Rondale. Okay, very good. Um, so you you touched on, on Brian Edwards there for a minute. Um, would you like to unpack that any, any further? As as you know. How are you targeting him in drafts, if at all? Well, I'm getting him in some. Uh, sometimes someone will take him like a round earlier than the ADP says, and I, I don't really want to get in a bidding war for, for Edwards. But if he's going to be a comfortable wide receiver seven kind of price, then I will keep buying because I think it, it's just um, – it's still one of those things with like with rugs that there's a wide range of possibilities there. Edwards could do pretty much nothing this year. Edwards might not even be very good, but I think that would be pretty unlikely for, for both of those things to be true. Like I think the, at worst Edwards is a good player who might not have a big role this year because rugs is also good. And because John Brown still has something left and because Waller is obviously not going anywhere and Hunter Renfro is still around too. So, uh, what happened last year is you had Aguilar playing pretty much all the time outside. You had Ruggs playing outside sometimes, but often in the slot in a position specifically where only Renfro, Renfro ran the year prior. So they kind of took some of Renfro's work from the slot, gave gave that to Ruggs, and then they gave Ruggs some outside stuff in addition to that. What could happen this year is, uh, depending on how training camp shakes out, they could put Renfro more in the role that he was in two years ago and just don't have Ruggs play the slot very much, just have him be more like the Aguilar analog. But there also, I guess, is a possibility of sort of Renfro getting pushed out of the picture and Ruggs becoming their full-time slot receiver, which uh, in that case, I think you're hitting the answer is both uh, for, for Ruggs and Edwards because then there's room for both. If, if Ruggs is right. in the slot, then it's just John Brown versus Edwards outside. And they're very different players. It would it could come down to just the question of do they want speed? But if it's more complicated than that, if it's if it's up to more of a broader merit, Edwards might be able to win that competition this year. So you could see a three-wide base load out of, of Edwards outside uh, with, with Ruggs outside and, and then in Renfro in the slot. And and that that would be pretty interesting. That that might be very well how it goes. But I, I think in the meantime, they're kind of taking an approach where they're they're thinking. You know, somebody might get hurt. Somebody might disappoint. Somebody might be better than we expect them to be. And we're not going to commit to any plan in the meantime. We're going to just let it kind of work itself out over training camp. So in the meantime, it's hard to know much. But for me, Edwards is definitely one of those players where it's it's a when, not if kind of thing. And it didn't happen last year. But if, if, I'm, if, if us Edwards truthers are right, that it is a when and not if kind of thing, then the when is a year closer, if nothing else, and Aguilar is gone. So there's, that's a couple of reasons right there that I, that make it easy for me to justify Edwards at a cheap cost. Now, if, if he starts going in like the fifteenth round or something higher than that, then then maybe I'll have to, or, or sorry, maybe maybe he's going in like the top twelve rounds. Then maybe that's too much risk at that point. But for me, in the meantime, it's like this is this is a cheap price for a player who's clearly pretty good. 
Yeah, I, I think I've rounded out at least a couple of best ball drafts uh, targeting Brian Edwards uh, in the in the last round or in the, in the last two rounds, something like that. So uh, at, there, I, I will absolutely t- take the plunge, and pro- I would probably be up for for going a round or two higher. But like you said, if you get into the fifteenth, uh, it becomes a different conversation where you need a little bit more assurances as to as to what um, his role is going to be. Um, let's move on over to LA. Let's get into the the Rams and, and what uh, their offense is going to look like this year. I know that uh, you know back in late January, the last weekend of January, what that Saturday night when the when the trade news hit that Jared Goff what was going to be sent out to Detroit, Matthew Stafford was coming in that that um, you know your interest in in this Rams offense re- really kind of kind of spiked. And you know this is again you know a Sean McVay offense that. Uh, I mean, it made it to the Super Bowl it, uh, with Jared Goff. I mean, that's that's kind of an unbelievable statement to make. And they, they you know, had one of the most entertaining offenses in years, despite not having a great quarterback. Um, now they do have a very, very good quarterback. I, I stopped short of calling Stafford great, but maybe that maybe that's more of just like Detroit being so cursed that it never really let him, you know, hit his full potential. But now he, he's he's out of there. Um, he's he's in L.A. They got a great group of skill guys. What and obviously a great scheme as well. So I mean, how much Stafford do you have exposure wise right now? I have some. I'm definitely open to getting more. It, for me, the quarterbacks, uh, how, how eager I am to acquire them is just subject to the price. And sometimes Stafford goes surprisingly high for me. Sometimes he slides, and in which case, I definitely want to buy. Then uh, he he kind of I can't remember who exactly he's a, he's in a range where I I have some other guys that I want to get to. So uh, it it might be dictated whether I'm pursuing a different kind of stack or pairing something like that might be the explanation for why I don't like Stafford. Uh, some of the times, but if I leave a draft with Stafford as my quarterback one, and I feel vaguely confident, confident about my running backs and receivers, then I would be okay with that because the only concern I have with Stafford is whether his like back or shoulder, whatever, whatever he's gotten hurt with over the years. Uh, I, I'm a little concerned about that, but if he's on the field and if he's physically healthy, there is no question he will produce. It's, it's, it's not, it's not a, there's not even like a slight risk in that sense. Like the system is, is highly favorable. He's never played in a highly favorable system. Like obviously he had Megatron in Detroit for some of those years, but a, he had like a 5,000 yard 35 touchdown season in those circumstances. And B the rest of the team was not very good. There was, there was pretty much everything was wrong with that team uh, other than Stafford and Megatron. So uh, going to the Rams, it's a little different. Like there's no Megatron. But the, the situation is still more favorable because McVeigh's system element is just so much currency in itself. And then incidentally, yeah, the supporting cast is pretty good. Robert Woods obviously fits the system great. Cooper Cup fits the system great, uh, d- does a great job there. I think Tyler Higby might break out again with Stafford there. Uh, last year, he had like a broken hand that he played with for something like a month. And he did a lot of pass blocking uh, for them to try to kind of do like schemed open plays for Goff. With Stafford, you can kind of just call base plays and he'll make the offense look good. You don't need to do the smokes and mirrors that you did with Goff to make Stafford look good. So I think there's quite a lot of explosive potential here. 5,000 yard season with 40 touchdowns would not be shocking, in my opinion. Wow, that's a big statement, but I mean, I, I I see where you're going with it. I, you know, again, the the system setup, uh, having Woods Woods and Cup, 
I guess, uh, you know, my initial question, looking at the rest of this group of pass catchers, they have two guys who are kind of like a Spider-Man meme of each other, although, you know, one of them has obviously accomplished a ton more already, but you got Deshaun Jackson and Tutu Atwell. So I think the acquisition of those two guys this offseason, it has to say something, right, about what they want to maybe a, a vertical addition to this offense. And, you know, we, we don't know which one of those two it's going to be. But I mean, th- there's there's potential with what Stafford offers with his arm and what what those two offer at their speed that, that the Rams weren't working with a year ago, that there might be some more over the top element in this offense. Yeah, I think that was that sign uh, trading for Jackson, drafting Atwell was basically McVay acknowledging that they missed Brandon Cooks last year and even that they missed Sammy Watkins from a couple of years ago because I, I don't know if that Van Jefferson selection was them saying, "All right, Goff can't throw deep, so just forget it. We're gonna we're gonna try to give him more mid range ammo, and maybe that'll make Goff better." Uh, if that was what they are thinking, it didn't work. It, it wasn't a good idea because they made the field smaller on themselves. Like when you take that speed off the field, the safety is just going to take a step forward. And if, if you thought it was hard to get open the, the play before, it's like, well, it's not going to get any easier now that the safety's that much closer to you. It just doesn't work that way. So having that speed threat was a benefit that they didn't have last year. And I think that they, they showed like a clear understanding of that fact by getting Jackson and Atwell. But I think um, I think both of them are locked into at most a very peripheral role. And me personally, I will never draft Atwell. I, I don't think I there's a scenario where I would draft him. I, I I don't think he'll play more than 300 snaps in his first or any NFL season. I don't know. Uh, and in the meantime, I think he's pretty simply just break glass in case of injury if if Deshaun Jackson gets hurt. Uh, because if Jackson doesn't get hurt, Atwell not even half the player he is like even last year, even at 34 or whatever, Deshaun Jackson was still very effective on the, the, the short playing time that he had. I uh, just got hurt. So on a they're, terrible they're gonna, team. I think, yeah. So I think what they're going to do is they're going to hope Jackson can play as much as possible, but realistically capping his snaps around like 25, 30 a game with obviously woods, obviously cup, but also Van Jefferson being the, the more base package player. Uh, I think Jefferson is going to get 700 snaps or more this year. I think he's too cheap now. I think I think when people okay. saw the Jackson trade, that Atwell pick, uh, it's it's just a confused reaction because they don't play the same position. It's, it's just Jackson and Atwell are problems for each other. Uh, Van mm-hmm. Jefferson is, is like blocked and limited by Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, but he's the top replacement for either of them in his press doesn't suppose anything it, it doesn't his price is so low right now it's like it, whatever you're paranoid about is has already more than factored into the price there's there's nothing to actually be afraid of at that price there's just huge upside because cooper cup's got a bad knee and if cooper cup hits the bench or sorry if, he, if he's out for an injury reason van jefferson is the cooper cup replacement there's no question about that and if robert woods gets hurt Van Jefferson replaces him too. And Robert Woods does have a bit of an injury history, especially earlier in his NFL career. So I think Van Jefferson is one of the best uh, bargain receiver targets and, and one with quite a bit of upside, even though I'm not even high on him as a talent. Like I think it's, he, he is the heir to this system and this system. If Stafford is on the field will not fail. 
Beautifully said. Yeah. I, and uh, to to your point, Van Jefferson going around pick 200 um, in according to our ADP report, sometimes later. So, um, yeah, that, I that's actually definitely picked someone. Him in, uh, I picked him and Deshaun Jackson with a couple of my last picks in a underdog tournament thing that I did last, uh, the one that I did most recently. Uh, so Ooh. yeah, I, I like them both quite a bit. Uh, not, th- not that I want to go getting a million Deshaun Jackson shares at any price. Cause I guess the odds are he is going to break in week one yeah. and, and then yeah. not play again all year, but he will get that 80 yard touchdown in week one. And, uh, if he, if he manages to put together, that makes it all worth it, man. Yeah. That, so, that- uh, Jackson, at his current price, he does not need to play the whole year to be useful. And if he does somehow play the whole year, it's it, like people will wish they had taken him in the 12th round. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, again, uh, th- there's no sweeter victory lap th- than the week one victory lap, of course. Um, rounding things out, I think this will kind of tie the episode together nicely, um, you know, because we're, we're we started the the show talking about zero RB and and how, you know, there there's validity to it sometimes in a way where it's like, OK, sometimes r- certain running backs are going to get pushed up too high and you can you can. Uh, kind of mess your mess up your whole draft by reaching on them just or not necessarily reaching, but taking them at ADP just on principle that like here they are this is this is this is the guy that I'm supposed to pick at twelve it's it's written in stone uh, and instead you could get you know maybe a receiver maybe like a Devonte Adams or something um, instead and, and kind of start your build that way and of course I'm talking about Cam Akers and also you know his handcuff becomes a pretty interesting. Uh, guy to target once you get outside pick 100 and Darrell Henderson, you know, obviously someone that uh, has, has um, I think mostly upset the people who didn't know anything about him uh, as a college player. And then uh, they like bought into the helium in 2019 and then like, you know, cast him aside and then we're, we're mad at him whenever he was on the field um, last year. But I, I don't know, Darrell Henderson, I think is, is pretty interesting, but, but what are your thoughts um, on the, on this backfield here with, with the Rams is Cam Akers going where he should and, and uh, you know, how much Darrell Henderson interest do you have at ADP? I think Akers is going about where he should. I think some of the narratives around him are wrong. Uh, some of the, some of the narratives around him are really silly, I think actually, but they're not really dictating too much of the ADP. It's like maybe there's some leagues where some poor soul takes Cam Akers fifth overall ahead of Jonathan Taylor, and and we'll see how that works for them. But usually he seems to be more in like that tenth pick kind of range and eighth, ninth pick kind of range. So around there. Yeah, if Zeke's off the board, if 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 Jonathan Taylor's off the board, then you can be somewhat lower on Acres as a talent, like I am, and still have no qualms at all about picking him there because you you don't have to make it all you know personal specific, person specific, player specific. You're buying the starting running, in theory anyway, you're buying the starting three down running back role in the Rams offense, and like we've talked about with Stafford. It, the system will just be going a certain place, like almost regardless of who's in it. And Stafford being the quarterback that he is, he's raising the baseline of the whole offense quite a bit. It's going to help uh, offset, I think, some inefficiency concerns with Akers. Like Akers is, is a baseline runner to me. And I think that the, the people who believe he's a star running back or something basically just don't know how to scout running backs. But he can kind of take what's there. And he's he's got enough speed to, to make some, some good plays in certain capacities, and he's got enough weight to take on the volume of that role. And and the volume in this case is a, is an offense where 
or at least uh, I think that the quarterback might be throwing 40 touchdowns or so. And if that's happening, then the running back can be, uh, I don't know, Carlos Hyde, and it will be like a borderline top 12 value. Uh, so as much as I'm kind of skeptical about Akers, and, and I think the idea that he's anywhere near, especially a player like Jonathan Taylor, uh, I think that's ridiculous. But you you don't you don't really need to worry about that so much. It's like that that pick there with with the usage he's going to get, it it should be fine as long as Stafford stays healthy. Uh, because uh, even after doing like four point three yards per carry or whatever last year, Akers should do better than that. And if he were if you were rerunning that scenario of last year with Stafford at quarterback, he would have, he would have had more room to run. The safety wouldn't have hit him quite so early a couple times. He would have gotten a little bit more of a, a corner to turn here and there. Uh, so th- those possibilities, I think. Uh, like maybe that's not so specific the reasoning that people are using for, for their Cam Akers justifications. Like maybe they're thinking like, oh, he's just such a star. Uh, I disagree, but I, I think Staff, maybe they're underestimating Stafford, and and uh, I think Stafford bridges the gap uh, all the same. I, I do think Henderson goes too late. He's kind of in that Madison category for me, where it's like uh, people people clearly just got bored and forgot kind of. And it's interesting. I actually forgot. I, I in my head had the false memory that. Daryl Henderson had like 300 yards last year. He mm-hmm. had more yards and touchdowns than Cam Akers last year. And I, I totally forgot that. I, I had a false memory that is just like, yeah, he didn't play. It was pretty much all Akers and Malcolm Brown. But um, Henderson did not embarrass himself. And, and you hear people just say, oh, but he got he, he got benched late in the year. Like We've seen a couple cases now of McVay being a little bit goofy about how he handles late season injuries. Like Gerald Everett was one where he didn't play in the final like three weeks last year, but McVay for some reason was just kind of, he's goofy about in practice, in week practice reps. And, and he's one of those guys who's like, Oh, we got, we can't let this guy play this much this week. He had a bad week of practice. And so like, he'll, he'll do things where, where he's like, Oh, we didn't, we didn't see Henderson get enough reps as, uh, in practice. So we can't put him out there. Even play, we got to go with Brown. And so that was what was happening a couple times. Cause he had a, he had like a knee injury and an ankle injury. And that stuff happened around when he disappeared late in the year. And then he had like the 12 carry 60 yard game against Seattle. So it, the idea that Henderson just will not play and, and especially citing the end of last year as proof of it is wrong. Uh, if, if, hmm. if you need that all to be true to justify your, your acres projection, then your projection is wrong. You need to, you need to rework the math on it. Right. No, I, I think you're right. He definitely should have a role and, you know, he's, He's got a lot to his game, I, I think, still. So, I mean, he, he's only entering his age 23 season. Good pass catcher. Uh, can be complimentary that way. Um, has some good athleticism to him as well. Maybe not as 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 much as I, I would have thought uh, coming out of co- college. But, you know, still a sub 4-5 guy um, with, with good densities and, and a good skill set. So, uh, he definitely shouldn't be erased uh, from this offense. And definitely someone that, that you can think about, you know, as, as a depth option at the running back spot. I think that's going to wrap things up for this week's edition of the Rotowire NFL podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet for Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.